I'm listening. That's the title. From Psalm 119, some selected verses, that's the long one in the middle of the Bible. How can a young person stay on the path of maturity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The law from your mouth is more pleasant to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Now, I could have just kept reading and read all 176 verses, but uh, I want you to try to imagine life before the internet. I know for some of you that's a hard thing to do. Life before emails and text messages and cell phones and Twitter. Life before Facebook and Instagram Now, friends, I can actually remember that time, although no, I don't believe I ever actually saw any dinosaurs. (laughs) I'm not that old. But I'm talking about 35 years ago when I was a seminary student in Pasadena, California, and the love of my life, my dear Irene, was at the University of Guelph in a place called Ontario, We did have telephones, but did you know back then in those olden days, long distance rates, especially phoning between different countries, was incredibly expensive. But we communicated with each other nonetheless. Can you imagine how? That's right. There's one right here, Mr. Kevin Livingston, Fuller Seminary, Irene Thomas, Watson Hall, U of G, Guelph, Ontario. We wrote letters. We spent hours of time writing letters to one another, sharing with each other about our activities, our funny stories, our hopes, our dreams, our faith, our fears. To look back on those love letters now still inspires me because I see the the depth of shared interests we wrote about. I sense the passion we felt for each other. The simple joy we had in in sharing the day's news with each other and learning about each other's lives. You can get to know a lot about another person when you write to them and they write to you. Of course, I was in seminary at the time. I was reading a lot of other stuff. I was reading works of theology and history. I was learning how to exegete a text and gaining pastoral counseling skills and how to preach a sermon. I was reading a lot. 
But you know, as much as I love theology and history and biblical studies, that was absolutely nothing compared to getting one of Irene's love letters in the mail, believe me. Her pressure. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, it's true. Can you imagine? Her letters always made my day. I was so anxious to hear what she had to say and to get to know her better. I remember reading over every line again and maybe a third time to discern deeper meanings and feelings and intentions of every word and sentence she wrote. I was in a listening, learning mode because I was in love. Now, friends, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the writer of Psalm 119 felt many of the same emotions as I did for Irene in my reading of her long-distance love letters. Because the psalmist is exulting in his love for God and for God's word, God's law. And he expresses it with a profound sense of celebration and gratitude. Did you, did you hear the passion in his voice? The psalmist is seeking God, he says, with all his heart. Hiding God's word deep inside will protect him from sinning against the one he loves. God's word is wonderful. It causes the psalmist to feel deep joy. To know God's word is to be truly rich. To taste it is better than the sweetest honey. To walk with God's word is to have guidance and direction through life, illuminating all the paths that we're going to walk. God's law is the touchstone of wisdom and knowledge, the deepest joy in the psalmist's heart. Here in Psalm 119, we have a beautiful example of someone who is passionate about their relationship with the Lord. And they know that to grow in that relationship, they have to learn the discipline of listening. To listen to God attentively as God speaks in his word. But friends, here's where I think I, and maybe I could include some of the rest of us, here's where we make some mistakes. The first mistake many of us make is to see the Bible not as God's love letter to us, the way the psalmist did, but rather to look at the Bible as, uh, I don't know, uh, the Ontario driver's handbook. <laughs> uh, do you know what that is? That's the official manual with all the rules and procedures you need to know in order to get your driver's license and turn on the key and drive your car in Ontario. Now, don't get me wrong. The driver's handbook contains useful, even essential information if you're going to get behind the wheel. The facts and truths that it contains are necessary to know if you're going to drive a car. But I don't think any of us would want to read it for pure pleasure, would we? Or would, you know, tuck that into the carry-on so we can read it on our vacation. Or we would find it particularly useful as a great source for wisdom and guidance for the living of our lives. We wouldn't expect blessings to come to us by living according to its precepts. Maybe no tickets, but not, well, that could be a blessing, but that's another matter. Now, of course, the Bible is filled with useful and essential information, too. But it is so much more than a collection of facts and doctrines and stories 
as it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It exposes our innermost thoughts and feelings. That's what the word does if we listen. We believe the Bible is the living word of God and the God who spoke in the past to his people through the apostles and the prophets and most especially through his living word, Jesus, continues to speak to us today through it by the power of the Spirit. You want personal renewal in your life? You want some inspiration to get through this term to hear God's voice? Do we want corporate renewal together as a people, as a school here at Tyndale to sense God's step-by-step direction as we go from this place to the new campus on Bayview? I assure you there's no slick techniques. There is only the word. That was certainly a major theme in the 16th century renewal of the church we call the Protestant Reformation. Within a decade after Luther had nailed his 95 theses to the, to the Wittenberg Castle Church door, he preached a sermon and explained his perception of his own role in the emergence of this thing called the Reformation. Luther, who was the father of the Reformation, sorry, Joan, it wasn't Calvin, I'm afraid, but, it was, but, but he, he was, Calvin was, I guess, the other father. But he explained his role this way. He writes, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage. I did nothing, said Luther. The word did it all. See, the Reformation, if anything, was a back to the Bible movement. When it came to the 16th century renewal of the church, the word did it all, which means that the word of God in scripture is not just informative, the word of God has the power to do what it says, it is transformative. So as we seek renewal in our own lives, as we seek renewal in the church, even here in Tyndale, as we prepare to go from one campus to another, this is what we need to remember. The Word still does it all in my life, in your life, in the church's life, in Tyndale's life. The essential ingredient of renewal is to, is to seek to love God passionately and to learn from Him by attending to His Word. But that brings up another mistake some of us make. If some of us make the mistake of thinking that the Bible is a book of facts and rules rather than what it is, a living, breathing love letter from God to each one of us, then others of us make the mistake of thinking that our worship, our worship is mostly about what we do for God. Sometimes in my worship class that I teach on the very first session, I ask my students to answer that, don't worry, there's no test today, but here's the question, what does it really mean to worship God? I want you to define that, write it on a note card and read it out loud. What is worship? Now, of course, I know there's more than one right answer to that question, 
But often my students tell me something along these lines. Well, worship is declaring how great God is and lifting up his name and giving God our heartfelt devotion and praise. Or worship, that's the musical singing part of the service where we praise God with our voices and our instruments before we get to that sermon part. Or as a friend of mine has put it, worship is a person straining to make sure she gives all that God is due. A person lost in worship with her arms raised and her eyes closed. Now those answers aren't wrong, but they're incomplete. Because I want you to notice something. Every one of those answers speaks about worship from the perspective of what we are doing for God, right? Our praising, our singing, our gestures, our expression, our experience. And that, friends, can become a problem for us because it's imbalanced if we lose sight of the other side of the coin. Worship is more than what we offer to God. Worship is also listening to God as God speaks And as God acts among us, worship is about what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. Too often in our personal devotions or our corporate worship together, it does become all about us. Maybe that's the natural human tendency. About our expression of love or passion for God, which is good rather than putting ourselves in a posture of listening, of receiving, of being in a more receptive, attentive frame of mind. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You see, even if the Bible is God's love letter to us, are we sitting still long enough to let God illumine us with his truth, his love, his mercy, his encouragement? If Jesus is calling, are we listening? I get the feeling the author of Psalm 119 didn't have problems in this area like many of us do. Look at what he does. He says he reads God's word. He remembers it. He memorizes it. He recounts it to himself again and again. He meditates on it. We only read just a few verses from this longest psalm in the Psalter, but in almost every one of its 176 verses, the psalmist tells us some new dimension of how he devotes himself with his whole being straining to hear and listen to and guard and keep and obey what God says. He's devoted to the word of God, and even more importantly, to the God of the word. Every one of us needs to spend unhurried time soaking in God's word, letting its stories and its promises and its warnings and its words of encouragement and exhortation wash over us like like waves on the seashore, letting it just hit us again and again. I love that feeling. 
I love that feeling of being at the ocean and just standing about halfway deep in the water and letting the waves hit you. That's something like what it ought to feel like when we come into God's presence and read his word. I know one particular tool that my dear Irene has found extremely meaningful in the last year or two has been this book by Sarah Young called Jesus Calling. Do you know that book? It's a devotional book, very popular. I myself am finding the ancient practice of morning and evening prayer with its rhythm of reading through the Psalms and as well as the Old and New Testament to be a daily oasis. In fact, commercial, if you come right back here this afternoon at 6.15, if you'd like to share an evening prayer with me, because I lead it every Wednesday nights here in the chapel. Well, let me close. I usually, you know, I'm a positive guy. I like to end with a positive story, but today I want to end with a warning. Jesus makes it clear in his teaching that it's dangerous, especially those of us who claim to follow God. It's dangerous for a person to close one's ears, eyes, and heart to the voice of God and to neglect it. In the book, The Magician's Nephew, which is one of the great Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, I hope, you know, they, I hope that, is that required reading at the university, the, the all seven volumes of the Chronicles? If it isn't, it should be, but that's another story. In The Magician's Nephew, Narnia is created when Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, sings the world into being. And this creation song reveals Aslan's majesty and glory and power. It is a grand call to worship. But there's one person in the story, Uncle Andrew, who refuses to hear it, and the consequences are frightening. Lewis writes, When that great moment came and the beast spoke, He missed the whole point for a rather interesting reason. When the lion had first begun singing long ago when it was still quite dark, Andrew had realized that the noise was a song. And he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think or feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw saw that the singer was a lion... Only a lion, as he said to himself. He tried his hardest to make himself believe it wasn't singing, never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our own world. Of course it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. (laughs) Uncle Andrew did. He He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon... He couldn't have heard anything else, even if he'd wanted to. 
And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake! He didn't hear any words. He only heard a snarl. And when the beast spoke in answer, he heard only barkings, growlings, bayings, and howlings. Brothers and sisters, that story should serve as an exhortation to all of us to stay pliable, to stay teachable, to stay sensitive to the Lord's voice. You know, hardness of heart and spiritual blindness are not just maladies people suffered back in the Bible days. The proper position of a disciple is to be with his master, following him, listening to his voice. May that be the place where every one of us can be found, walking with Jesus, following where he goes, listening to what he says, doing what he asks. May the Lord grant us his grace and spiritual perception to hear his voice today. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, as we begin this new semester of life together at Tyndale, as, as all of us begin another year of our lives, what do you want to say to us? The psalmist shows us that your word is a love letter to your people. If only we had the ears to hear and the patience to be still and listen, to really listen for your voice. By the work of your Spirit, make us hungry, make us thirsty, make us desperate enough to spend time in your word and to hear your living voice speaking to us through it. This we ask for your love's sake. Amen.